The Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by Relola. The Relola app helps agents leverage their local expertise. Create a beautiful interactive map of everything you love about your community, from businesses to listings to local features. Share it on Facebook and your website. And it's free for all realtors in 2018. Learn more at relola.com. I don't want anyone to lose sight of what our role is and that we're truly here to help people in a huge transition in their lives. Um, and that this business is far more about transitions than it is about transactions. And so that is why I've always really focused on relationships. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you for finding us on the internet. Thank you for downloading our show and, and, and leaving a review and a rating over at iTunes or, or Overcast, or wherever you like to do that sort of thing. We really appreciate it. It helps us grow. Uh, and today I'm, I'm very excited. It's, it's another one of my Inman connections uh, that go back many, many years now. Uh, and for episode 120, I'm going to be talking to Alyssa Hellman. Alyssa is the founder of Compass South Consulting. It's a company she started. She's helping realtors, brokerages, uh, you know, people in the industry, uh, helping them kind of grow, understand how the business works. It's going to be exciting to talk about her new uh, her new operation. Uh, but first, let's welcome her to the podcast. Alyssa, thank you for uh, joining us on the Real Estate Sessions. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Bill. So I know you're now in Raleigh-Durham. I My son lived there for about six months, almost a year. It's one of the most beautiful parts of the country. We'll talk about that. But that's not where you grew up. I think you're kind of a little more Northeast, right? Yes. I, as I hear now, most people tell me that you wouldn't recognize it by my accent. Um, however, I grew up in New York. Um, <laughs> so I grew up in Southampton, which is a small town on the east end of Long Island. I've always said I'm kind of Yankee born and sooner bred. And I part of my company's, how I named my company is I feel like the South has always kind of had a pull on me. So even though I grew up in New York, I've pretty much headed South from the, the time I moved out of my parents' house and um, can't seem to get away. I got to tell you, talking about Southampton, my wife and I were at the US Open this summer, the tennis, so my wife's a big tennis fan. And we decided to drive out to Montauk because we'd never been to the tip of Long Island. And there is some really pretty stuff along the way. And Southampton, the little village, is uh, we couldn't leave there. We spent about an hour just kind of cruising around. And I'm sure you, you know that very well, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that even though Southampton's grown exponentially since I grew up there, um, and there's kind of a running joke amongst the locals that, you know, there's Tumbleweed Tuesday right after Labor Day when all of the folks uh, from New York City and the, the summer folks and vacationers go back to kind of their day-to-day lives and aren't out every weekend. And then it's just locals. And so really that's where the small town feel comes from, where everybody knows your name, everybody knows your parents um, and, and your friends. And so it really was a true small town feel that that was such a great place to grow up. And I, I don't think... I say all the time that I don't think I appreciated it then the way that I wish I would have, um, and certainly not the way that I appreciate it now. Talking about getting as far away as you can from you know <laughs> Long Island, you end up going to school 
at Oklahoma. So you mentioned the sooner the sooner in you. Talk about that. What what got you to Oklahoma? Sure. So you're right. That's as far as my parents would let me go. And the only reason they let me go there is that we had family there. Ah. Um, but my dad grew up in a s- even smaller town, Oklahoma, called Chandler, Oklahoma. And virtually his entire side of the family still lives out around Oklahoma um, and, and OU. Most of them went to OU, including my dad, who went there for law school. And so it was one of those things that I grew up a huge Oklahoma a fan and you know I remember my dad taking me to my first football game and pretty much my decision was made then I remember I applied early decision to Oklahoma I think I'm one of the few people who only ever filled out uh, one college application because when I got in I, I said you know it's not even worth applying anywhere else I know where I'm headed so, so you, you said you talk about OU football back in the day. We're talking Barry Switzer was the coach then when you were, you were watching. No, so while I was there, Bob Stoops had just become the coach. Okay. Um, with your so, dad, with your dad, watching with your dad, that had. To oh be, yes. That was yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he he's um, you know a Barry Switzer guy, and the the unique part about Oklahoma is, and it's it's kind of funny. I know you're a, a college sports fan, so you'll you'll appreciate this, and hopefully listeners will appreciate this too. But as you hear about kind of the coaching carousel, if you will, these days, what I've always appreciated about OU is all of the past coaches kind of stick around. Barry Switzer lives right on the the south corner of campus, um, just off of campus, across actually from the Phi Delta Theta house uh, down on campus. Um, And Bob Stoops lives nearby, even though he's not uh, coaching anymore. As you saw, he sat there in the Heisman trophy presentation for Baker Mayfield. He's still really heavily involved. So I think to me, that speaks volume about the school, the team and the, and the culture that they have at OU that even when people aren't, you know, paid by the university anymore, they, they are sticking around because it's a really great place to be. Well, well, I got to say good luck against Georgia. I'm pulling for Oklahoma. I, I think Baker Mayfield is, is a super passionate player. He's going to be <laughs> the kind of guy when he's on your team, there's nothing better. But you have to admit, other when you're playing against him, he's the kind of guy you want to, you know, crush, right? Absolutely. I, I think, uh, I think people, you know, he has a target on his back. I think any fantastic college football player or really athlete would have a target on their back. People want to be the people that that beat Oklahoma and beat Baker Mayfield, and you know, I think that that leads to a lot of trash talking from both sides. And and I agree. I think he's a passionate player, but I think he also is a player that currently is living his dream. He grew up an Oklahoma fan, wanted to be at Oklahoma, um, and it, it took a long journey for him to get here. So it, I love watching him because I know that, you know, he's really living out a childhood dream there. Let's, let's, let's move on. You, you decide you've, you've had enough of the planes, and you decide then to get your MPA, your Master's of Public Administration, at George Washington, right in downtown D.C. So talk <laughs> about that transition. And while you're getting that degree, that, that graduate degree, real estate's probably not on your radar. So let's talk about that whole part of your life. True. So, um, so yeah, so I decided to, after I graduated OU, I decided to move to D.C. and pursue my master's in public administration at, at George Washington. You know, it was one of the top programs in the country for, for public administration and public policy. And, you know, I, I think... 
at that age in my early 20s, I, I wanted to be back in a city. I found New York a little bit overwhelming as a city, um, especially coming from from uh, Oklahoma. But DC seemed to me like almost like a manageable city. And it, it very much was. And you're right, real estate wasn't really on my radar. For the listeners that don't know, I graduated college in 2008. Again, not a solid market, not really the best time to get into real estate. And I graduated my master's degree in 2010, which was, again, not really the best time to get into real estate. But during my time in D.C., I, I, had, I had worked and I had, I had bought myself a condo and um, I was fascinated by the process. I was fascinated by how it worked and, and kind of the, the level of interaction with individuals, the difference that an individual agent can have on a transaction it really appealed to me. And so when I graduated, I felt like, you know, going into government, you live in DC long enough, I think you either really want to be in government or really don't want to be in government. <laughs> and I fell into the latter. And so, it, you know, government's still something that fascinates me. I like to keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening. But I, I felt like it wasn't really my calling. And so uh, in 2010, I, I started in the industry um, not not as a licensed anything, um, but really as a runner and as, and as an, as an assistant. And then I got my license in 2011. And I, honestly, I, I truly haven't looked back since. It's been something that I, I love the impact that an agent can have. I really believe in a lot of what we talk about in the industry in terms of customer service and customer experience. And that, you know, that's, that's, been my entire passion for my entire career thus far. You you spent some time at Long and Foster, which is one of a big brokerage back east. But then you take this big leap of faith in 2014, right? And you decide to relocate. Here, here you go, heading south again <laughs> to to uh, to North Carolina from Virginia, and you actually joined forces with with Zach Shabbat of Go Realty. So talk about that going from that big brokerage down to a really cool little unique. Um, independent that, that Zach had started up? I, I like to put it as I'm a recovering athlete. Um, so I was big into sports and, and, you know, athletics when I was a kid and all throughout high school. And so honestly, my choice to go to Long and Foster originally came from that sort of culture. I knew there was a lot to be learned. I knew I knew nothing. Um, and at the time, and it, including now, Long and Foster has a stellar reputation in that area of the country. Um, and I felt like through their resources, through their expertise, through their personnel, I could really learn the business in an accelerated way. And I, I believe I did. I, I had a successful sales career there. I, I grew in, into management there. And I, I really learned kind of the ins and outs of the industry, the ins and outs of both a big brokerage as well as a large independent brokerage, which is something that kind of I took with me for the rest of my career. And then kind of serendipitously, uh, my good friend Zach Shabbat joked with me actually at an Inman and he said, you know, you should you should just come work for us. And Go has uh, continues to be a company that I, I uh, admire extremely. And I really believe in what they're doing. And I, I kind of laughed him off at the time. But as you well know, 
the flight from San Francisco to DC is six hours. So that can give a girl a lot of time to think. <laughs> um, and my attitude was at the time I was, I don't know, 27, I think uh, 26 or 27. And, um, I, you know, wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I, my biggest responsibility was kind of a floppy eared dog that relied on me to walk her once in a while. And I thought to myself, you know, there's no time like the present. There's, I, you can't take leaps like that your entire life without impacting a lot of people. And so I really believed in, in kind of what they were doing and, and their, their mission and their vision. And, you know, I, I packed up my things and I came and um, I, I truly haven't looked back. I think my time in North Carolina has been extremely impactful for me, even though I'm no longer with Go. I, I learned a ton while I was there. I still have really good relationships that I've taken from that time. And, you know, I, I, I obviously I've met the love of my life in North Carolina. I have a family now in North Carolina. So, you know, it's all it, my I feel like my life has really come together in North Carolina. And, you know, that's a lot of why I, I love this place as much as I do. You really like training and educating agents. And I, I you know, I do that on the as well, but not to the level you do. It's not easy work. Why do you love that so much? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So while I was at Go, um, my role was the director of the Go School of Real Estate, which is their real estate school. And during that time, I just became fascinated by uh, specifically by new agents, but also agents in general. Um, but new agents really caught my eye because I felt like they were almost left behind where so much, and, and I can't speak to every state, but I, I'll paint this somewhat broad brush stroke and say in most states, pre-licensing education oftentimes really focuses on kind of the legalese of real estate, the contracts, the, the, the legal questions, um, and very little on the business of real estate and how to build a business and how to build a brand and how to you know keep track of your, your business budget and things like that. And for me, that was stuff that I, I very much learned on the fly, but I felt is and has been the best real estate education I could have gotten. And I, I felt like that's not out there and that wasn't available. So we did a lot of things at the Go School while I was there to incorporate that into the curriculum that that weren't kind of pass or fail in terms of people getting their license, but at least expose people to those things um, and let them know look, this is things that you're going to have to figure out when you get into real estate. So as you're evaluating brokerages, you should keep that in mind. And it it's something that now has grown into, obviously, me starting my own company where, you know, I love working with agents. I don't think my dad used to always tell me, you know, if it's easy, it's probably not worth doing, which is I, I've held with me my whole life. And I, you're right, it's not easy work, but I think it's always been worth it to me because I think I've really seen some some agents grow into fantastic business people, people that, you know, I'm proud I can say that they're in the real estate industry, people that I would trust to send my parents to. I always use that as a good metric of, you know, would you send your mom and dad to them? And if you would, I think that's the highest form of of recommendation that you can give. Speaking of mom and dad, let, you 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 share a great story <laughs> that I've heard it um, maybe a couple times, you know, on stages in different places throughout the country. Can you uh, tell us the kaleidoscope story? Absolutely. 
my parents are kind of softies at heart. Um, they love symbolism and, and it's something they've passed down to me. And um, one of the things that, that they have given me and there have been many odd gifts along the way. One of the odd gifts that they gave me was when I, I actually graduated grad school and my mom and dad said, you know, we're so excited to have dinner with you tonight and give you your gift. And I'm thinking, what am I going to get? Like, this has got to be something cool. And I mean, I'm, I'm a selfish, you know, early twenties. And so I'm like, what'd they get me like a car? Like <laughs> this, this sounds awesome. Am I going on a trip? And so as I opened the box, what it actually ended up being in the box was, you know, just a standard dollar store kaleidoscope. And, um, uh, I, I probably was a little disappointed when I got it, but it came with this beautiful note. The world is all in how you choose to see it. And I don't, I don't think I totally got it when I was, you know, early twenties. I don't think um, I probably hadn't had enough hardship in my life where I needed to adjust my perspective and I needed to understand, okay, like what's the silver lining in this, which, you know, obviously I'm thankful for that, but I think they kind of missed the mark with the gift at the time. And so I had stashed it away and uh, I, I actually ended up losing it. And I, I found it when I was moving a few last year, I guess it was. It means a lot more to me now because I feel like it is really about perspective, whether it be in business or in life. It's It's really in how you choose to see the things that happen to you. There's a lot of things that have happened in probably the past five years of my life that, you know, probably could have knocked me down and taken me out. But I, I kind of adjust my perspective and adjust the light just right and, and try and, you know, move past those things and learn and fail forward and, and take lessons from things. And one of the, the lines I always use with my coaching clients is, you know, when you're failing or when things aren't going right, are you learning from those things or are you leaning on those things? I, I think oftentimes, especially in our society, we, we tend to lean on our failures and lean on, you know, things that didn't go, the, go as planned. And the reality is for a super successful and a super happy life, there's no use in doing that. You've got to learn from those mistakes and you've got to be able to move forward. So kaleidoscopes have a special place in my heart. And uh, I, I like to share that story with people because I think it's it's difficult to gain perspective a lot of the time. But um, again, just like training agents, it's, it's worth it. I, I want to ask you about sharing an, uh, another story. You, I was at Inman last, uh, it was 2016 Inman in San Francisco. And, and you got up on stage and you shared a very personal journey and uh, very emotional, moving for the audience, um, myself included. And I know you've, given tons of presentations. It's what you've done for a while now. But prepping for this one had to be a little different. Can you can you talk about talk about this experience? <laughs> yeah, prepping for this one, um, it took a lot more courage. It probably took a few more pints of, of Ben and Jerry's and of beer, um, frankly. <laughs> because it, it was so different than any presentation I've given. Most of the presentations I've I've ever given are are uh, largely educational and not as personal as this one was. And I'm so glad I gave it. So the presentation that I believe you're referring to is the story of my coming out. 
and really the story of my falling in love mm-hmm. um, and, and taking big leaps and, and being willing to, to fall and, and, you know, not, not worry about what's happening on the outside and worry far more about what's happening on the inside. And I, I think, you know, that that's a difficult enough story to share. Um, and, but it's, it's far more difficult when you're then fiance and, and still fiance at the moment is sitting in the front row listening to you talk about it. And frankly, thank God she was. And because I, I remember she listened to me say it over and over and over again. And it's, it really was all about sharing my heart. And, um, you know, I, I had never been with a woman before my fiance and, um, nor had she. And really what it came down to is I was so worried about what people would think. And I think the, the unique situation that I was in is, as I mentioned, I got into real estate in my early twenties and, um, I just turned 31 last week. And, you know, why, while I kind of grip to my youth as much as I can and pride myself on saying, you know, parts of me are never going to grow up. In a lot of ways, I've grown up in real estate and I've grown up in a very public light in real estate. Um, and so a lot of people have known me with, with boyfriends or whatever it may be. And I, I wasn't sure how it would be received. And I wasn't sure how to talk about it because I hadn't really talked about it except with very close friends and family and uh, certainly not to an audience on a stage like that. And so, yeah, prepping for that one was was very personal. It was very calculated is probably the wrong word, but it it was very prep heavy where a lot of my presentations I'm speaking um, you know, and, and putting together slides and things like that. And, you know, it's hard to put slides together about what's in your heart because there's not necessarily like an image you can get off Getty images. Right. Um, and I think, I think the funny part, I remember saying that in my, in kind of after I finished my presentation and I said to my fiance, Lynn, I said, I think that's the first presentation that it's all photos that I've, I've taken or of us that I've ever had. Um, it's all personal photos. It's all photos of our kids. I think that was a big uh, kind of anxiety that I had is, you know, I, I wasn't just sharing a story that impacted Lynn and myself. We have two beautiful stepkids and that story impacts them and their lives. And, you know, I was putting them on screen in front of, you know, however many people were there. I tried not to count. And so I think that was, it was tough, but I think I'm so glad that I shared that story and I'm, I, I'm glad the audience found it as moving as they did. And I, I think I'm, I feel really blessed that people have been as accepting and as, you know, it was so well received and we got so many kind messages of support after the fact and continue to. And so it's really been a long journey, but a really impactful one. Well, you did a wonderful job, and I, I know you've heard that a million times, but I wanted to make sure I, I added my uh, my you. voice to the list. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about some business stuff. You're, I, you have this unique mix of, let's call it, you know, analytical lead generator, and on the other flip side, saying, you know, don't call customers leads as you know, like a relationship builder. So how do how do you talk about this? How did you get to this place where? where you're, it's, it's a heavy focus on relationships. 
Sure. So I feel like relation at heart, this has always been a relationship business and at its core, it always will actually be a relationship business. And I think some people challenge me on that saying, you know, it's about data and and digital marketing and all of these things now, um, which I can appreciate why they feel that way. But I believe that generation lead generation may be in part that way. um, And obviously in part relationships, but I feel like lead conversion is all about relationships. It's all about your ability to create that rapport with clients and build that relationship and strengthen those bonds over time. And obviously repeat and referral business truly does, you know, that that at its core is all about relationships and your ability to stay connected with people. So I, I think the the biggest thing that I've felt is as we see this trend towards digital marketing and and analytics and understanding what customers are looking at online and kind of that big brothery data focused way of generating leads. I have no problem with that, but I also don't want anyone in the industry, whether they're focused on that or just referral based income. I don't want anyone to lose sight of what our role is and that we're truly here to help people in a huge transition in their lives Um, And that this business is far more about transitions than it is about transactions. And so that is why I've always really focused on relationships is, you know, it's really easy to start focusing on how many leads you can bring in and where you can get the best ROI and so to speak and all of those things. But I think, you know, some some of the things that can't necessarily be measured are things that that generate a ton of business. And, you know, that's about being a good human and giving back to the communities that you serve and, and building relationships that, you know, aren't always getting you a paycheck, but really matter to you. You've uh, taken one more big leap recently. <laughs> and you've, uh, you started your own consulting company, Compass South Consulting. Let's talk about that, the process of making that decision. And uh, I'm sure there are was a lot of planning involved and and how's the execution of the plan going? I've been joking over the last few months as I've started Compass South Consulting that apparently stability is just not my thing. <laughs> um, that, you know, I've, I've got to, you know, go out there and help people and do things that I really believe in. And that was the core and kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, on my decision to open Compass South. I didn't want to grow a huge coaching and consulting organization. I feel like those exist. I admire a lot of the ones that exist. Um, But I have no desire to grow to a space where I'm scaling to the point of hiring multiple coaches and, and training those coaches. What I'd like to do is really work with people that I believe in and help them achieve what it is they're looking to do, whatever that may be. And I think our, our industry has gotten so wrapped up in numbers and how many transactions and this and that. And my feeling is, you know, I want to help the agents that want to do enough and aren't necessarily always looking for more, 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 you know, those agents I'm certainly willing to help as well. But I feel like there's a lot of agents out there that coaching was not necessarily financially accessible for them. And my take has always been the earlier that you can step into coaching, the better off you will be because the better you will uh, learn various business skills, the more accountable you'll be, 
the it's just a better business move. And um, so what I've created is really a much more accessible coaching model where I'm, you know, for lack of a better term, essentially a one woman shop. And so I can be nimble and I can personalize a lot of things and I can do a lot of things that a large coaching organization is incapable of doing simply because they, they can't change the way they do it. Now, devil's advocate there, they can do a lot of things that I'm incapable of doing as well. But I think that's okay. And I think part of my goal is to, to be honest with people that come and talk to me. There's some people that come and talk to me and, you know, I'm probably not the right fit for them. But the way my model works is that's okay. Um, because there's tons of other people that I am the right fit for. And I am happy to guide them to somebody who is a good fit for them. So yeah, so the name comes from one of the other trinkets that my parents once gave me um, is a compass. And that started with my grandfather. He used to give compasses to any of the grandkids, really whenever he decided he was ready to. Um, It was never a specific age. It was just kind of a rite of passage. And I'm the youngest grandchild. And unfortunately, uh, my grandfather passed away before I ever received mine. And I remember begging and pleading with my mom and dad and saying, you know, you guys are going to continue this, right? Like, when am I getting my compass? And, you know, a year went by and two years went by and I didn't get one. I ended up gifting myself a compass. I have one tattooed on my wrist because the compasses always came with this beautiful note that said, so you can always find your way, but know your way back home. And after I got it tattooed, I remember my my mother was not pleased that I had gotten a tattoo. <laughs> and I had a very honest conversation with my parents explaining, you know, that that note always meant so much to me. And not receiving my compass, I I kind of felt like I had this lack of direction and I didn't know some of the things. And I know that sounds silly to some, but that's really how I felt. And and my mom, I remember, told me, you know, you never got your compass because he always gave them to people at a time where he felt like they needed help with finding their way and finding their direction. And she says, you've just kind of always figured it out, which I, I, I mean, is, I guess, probably the ultimate compliment, um, especially for your mother. Uh, but it's one of those things that I, I, at that point said, you know, that means more to me than, than the compass would have is to know that, that that's how he felt. And, you know, that, that was something that I've always kind of found my way. So when I was thinking about a name, I I tried to remember the note and remember what my parents had said about compass. And um, so that's, that's where the compass comes from. And the, the South is, as, as you guys have heard with my background, I feel like my compass has always kind of been headed South. And it's always directed me either to the Plains or to the Midwest or more South than I ever grew up. Um, and I feel like I really have found found my place here in North Carolina, um, which is obviously the South. And uh, I, I want the way that I feel at this present moment, uh, I want others to feel this way. I want others to feel like they've found their life's work and to feel like they're living a, a life that they had only imagined where they're happy in their personal life and they're also feeling balanced in their professional life. And I think 
you know, we talk so much about balance and I, I really do believe it's something that can be achieved. I don't think it's easy, but I think it is something that can be achieved. And I, I, I want to help others do that. So that's where the, the name came from. And as for your question about how it's going, I, it's going great. I, I've been joking with a few people that when I launched the company, yes, it absolutely took so much planning and so much execution. And I think there were moments where I was like, oh, what am I forgetting? But then when I, once I launched, you know, my, my phone started ringing. And I remember vividly saying to, to Lynn, my fiance, I said, I didn't think anybody was going to call. And, and she said, well, why'd you open the company if you didn't think anybody was going to call? And so it's such a blessing and, and obviously a good problem to have that people called. And, and I feel so fortunate that, you know, uh, some of my early clients were willing to work with me as I figured out you know, how do I work QuickBooks and, and let me hire a bookkeeper and, and see how I can get you an invoice. And so a lot of my early clients, you know, have rode, rode the roller coaster with me. And, and I am so grateful to them for kind of betting on me and, and taking this leap with me. And I think it's, you know, paid off for all of us tenfold. Alyssa, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up with the same question I've asked every guest on the podcast. And that's, what advice would you give an agent just getting started in the business? When you're a new agent, the, the biggest advice I can give anybody, whether it's a new agent or new in just about any industry, is to just shut up and listen. In our society, I feel like we're so prone to chiming in and giving our two cents and things like that. And the reality is if you can be a sponge, eventually – and you can soak up all that water, eventually you can give back and you can give that knowledge to others. But at first it takes soaking up all of that water, soaking up all of that knowledge. So when you're new, you should go to the, all of the free trainings that are available. You should you know, go and see the various coaches and trainers and things like that. You don't necessarily have to listen to every agent that's been there before you because you know, different styles are going to appeal to you more than they may appeal to somebody else or vice versa. Um, so don't be shy about really figuring out what is the path you want to take and, and finding out who you are along the way. And that, that goes if you're, you know, 20 or, or 40 or 60 or 80. I think we're all kind of on this journey figuring out who we are and, you know, making that part of our business. So yeah, so Biggest advice I'd say, be a sponge, go out there, try it all, figure out what speaks to you and stick with what speaks to you. Alyssa, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Absolutely. So they can check out my website, Compass South Consulting, or you can reach me by uh, email, Alyssa at AlyssaHellman.com, or you can always find me on Twitter, AVHellman. Um, or on Facebook, Alyssa Hellman, Compass South Consulting. I'm pretty much anywhere that you you want to find me. So you can just Google me and you, you'd find me. So Right. Thank you so much for taking some time today to share your story. I, I can't tell you how um, how how I love following what you've been doing. It's been it's so much fun for me. And uh, <laughs> I just want you to know that. So it's there are people out there like me, I'm sure, that just Love seeing your progress and your growth and just everything that's happening. So thank you so much. 
Well, thank you. I, I like to say I'm just getting started, Bill. So hopefully I'll provide a good show for you. Nice. Thank you. Thanks, Alyssa. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Bill.